Hello, this is Gerd Leonhardt, and welcome to my podcast. Yes, well, how much of a problem is capitalism? I mean, of course, capitalism is the problem, uh, not capitalism per se, but the form of capitalism that we have now, which is extreme capitalism or corporate capitalism. We have not found a very good alternative for capitalism. Socialism, communism has expired as, as an option, really. Uh, but many components of that are interesting for our future. So really what it comes down to, as long as we have a very simple rule, which is a one-track corporate mind and also personal mind, that says it's profit, growth, GDP, more money, more stuff, more goods. And that's been very ingrained in, in many societies and many, many roles and many people, of course. As long as we have that, then everything else is like a second choice to that. So we always make decisions based on the outcome on objective number one. And if we do that, then it's heading towards self-destruction because we're no longer in the position of where we can take all these things that were previously available, like natural resources. And when we're, we keep prioritizing the taking but not the giving, then we end up in a place where everything is taken, which means, yeah, kind of an implosion. So the, the real problem is when you, when you work in a company that has the objective that it's all about functioning and production and optimization and margin, then you become like that. And everything you do is about furthering that. And this is why it's so important that leadership and companies create this opening. And you look at the most successful companies, primarily in technology, but also in other brands, how they have done this, like Patagonia or Unilever or in technology companies like, like um, uh, Zoom and others, you know, who are creating a flat structure or like Salesforce, even better example, that gets a push forward from everybody so you can discover those kind of things. And that is, of course, again, a question of culture. This is why I say uh, culture eats technology for breakfast. You, you don't change a company just by bringing in technology. Uh, in fact, you probably make things worse because you're making the things that weren't working more efficient so they're even working less. Right? You have to start with the people and the culture. A more sustainable future, I mean, we, it's, I think this is happening in people's mindset already in that they're realizing that what we are doing is, is not just unsustainable in terms of environment or energy, but also humanly unsustainable, for example, in inequality. And if you put all these things together, you have a bunch of peaks about what is unsustainable and coming out every day even more. Like in the COVID crisis, we've learned that uh, our healthcare system and the way that we take care of people in many countries isn't sustainable, it doesn't scale, it's not very well funded, it's not coordinated. We found all the weaknesses. Uh, and as a result now, we're, we're bolstering and investing in that system. And how do we make our, our world more sustainable? I think first the conviction that it does need to be uh, preserved. Right? And that is essentially the process of understanding what's already happening uh, and to detach ourselves from this sort of simple way of living based under the GDP rule, which is profit and growth and, and general advancement in economic terms. I mean, we've always had this issue uh, basically until now, until the COVID crisis, that economics is the most important thing. Every right? government is talking about economics and jobs and growth, and, and we say, well, there was 2% GDP growth or so. But of course, we all know that the principle of uh, GDP does not include most things that are important to us. Back to what Bobby Kennedy said about it. 
And we have the Gross National Happiness Index from Bhutan. We have the, the, the Gross National Progress Indicator. We have all these things. We are only going to act on this if we're finding out that the old paradigm is broken. And that is what's happening right now. We're seeing that the old paradigm is broken. We need to reshift uh, and we need to figure out how we're going to spend our future based on the new paradigm. As far as globalization is concerned, the discussion has been raging in the last year or two that, that we're going to what's, what's called a slowbalization, which means you know, decoupling supply chains and bringing things back home and, 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 and reshoring things and all this. And I think this is happening also as a, as a response to the current crisis, of course. Right? But let's face it, I mean, the future of the world is not decided in one country. And whatever we do or China does or America does will to a certain degree be beneficial for them. But in the end, we have global issues, right? Energy, water, food, disease, technology, you know, all of those things that we have together. And so it's funny, at the same time, I think we're going to have a deglobalization in practical means, like supply chain maybe, for a while. But then we have a lot more multilateralism, which is collaboration on the top level issues. How do we keep the planet? How do we, how do we make food? Right? How do we grow food? How do we uh, create more water? And solving all these things together. So it's kind of, at the one hand, we we're, we're, uh, tend to be more isolationist now. And on the other hand, the need to act together is, is exploding. Right? Because climate change will not be addressed in one country or by one company. And all of the top level issues lead only to one conclusion, which I believe roughly in 20 years, we're going to need a sort of global government to deal with those issues, not in the sense of governance, but in the sense of making top-level decisions that people have to abide by. And we have precedent for this. So I think basically what's happening now is that uh, COVID has accelerated us like a warp drive into this new reality of realizing what we can do if we set our mind to it and what we have to do. So who leads the world to change? That's an interesting question because, you know, in the COVID crisis, we have learned the successful countries of dealing with the crisis. They were both privileged, like New Zealand, but they also had a different approach to life and to governance and to their country in general. Uh, and many of them were run by women. So what this idea of emotional intelligence and, and connecting to things and respecting nature and stuff that has gone out the window in so many places. Iceland, right? Uh, South Korea, Taiwan, New Zealand. Compare that to Brazil or the US or the UK. Right. Who leads the world in the future? Well, I think it's quite clear that people that can see uh, in, in a more holistic way and that can see the context, and that goes for CEOs and politicians and futurists and, and, and you know, anybody in the world, the new leader is capable of seeing all these things at once and all the implications of it and understands it intuitively with imagination. And that's the leadership that we need, you know, people who are able to express that, like Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, who is uh, sort of a walking embodiment of this kind of concept in so many ways. But then again, if Jacinda Ardern was, uh, you know, a politician in France, it probably wouldn't work. So I think we're, we're looking at the next 10 years as at being that point where we have to recreate that renaissance, you know, that we had in the 15th century, which was new realizations, new emphasis, uh, new priorities where all of a sudden in the Renaissance we said, you know, the uh, religion and Pope and dogmas and all that's all good, but in the end, you know, it's about 
what humans can do. So it was a huge shift in bringing forward the Renaissance and of course the um, all of the changes that came with the Renaissance. And now all of a sudden we're having this, what I call the, the new human Renaissance, which is to say what we want you know, is more important than what we can have. We have to decide on what we want. And the future is not something that just kind of falls down on us. And, and we're looking at it passively. You know, the, the future is not predetermined. There are people who are discussing that to be predetermined, right? But, but it's not. The future is something that every time I, I make a decision, whether it's yes or no, active or passive, I shape the future. Um, and so the question should not be, what will the future be? This is a stupid question, right? I mean, it's like, that's like saying, you know, uh, you know how will this egg be scrambled as, I, as I'm standing there with the pan? You know, it's not like that. This is a process where we say, what do we want the future to be? What do we prefer? And what choices do we make? We have all the choices. It's not that we don't have enough choices. We make the wrong choices. Ed Buckminster Fuller once said, we create the right technologies, but for the wrong reasons. So we have to, we have to look at our reasons and our preferred future rather than the options. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. Find out more about my work at techvshuman.com, techvshuman.com, and at futuristgert.com.